Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about exploration in D20 systems, roughly, TTRPGs, maybe a little bit more generally, but whatever. Um, before we do that, Buddy, why don't you show the folks at home what it is we do on, on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games, and it has also been a while since we've done like a true uh, tabletop episode, it feels like. So, we're I returning mean, a little bit. Oh, uh, I guess it hasn't been a while. We did one just the other week. Yeah, I was, think, I was thinking like from before the Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so funnily enough, that was our last episode since we skipped last week on my account. Um, because the, two weeks ago was, was the Pathfinder 2 episode about... That's true. Yeah, so we literally just did one. Well... I don't feel bad about doing two in a row. It's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, it's been a while since we've done like a, a, a big theoretical one. But. Yeah, um, so this is a big theory, a theory episode, a game design theory episode that I'm yeah. interested in. Just to set the stage a little bit, um, kind of what this came out of was uh, with with the, the kind of like sea shanties taking over the uh, the blagosphere, as it were. Um, it, it put an idea in my head for uh uh, basically, a campaign pitched me based on uh, kind of like inspired by the Northwest Passage, which is fascinating history. If any of you want to go out there um, and find out about the Northwest Passage, this is Titus Sea Chanties because go out to the Northwest Passage. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so if you listen to the song, <laughs> if you if you listen to the song that inspired this in my mind, it's called the Northwest Passage by Stan Rogers. Who is? It, go look up him. Go look up the actual Northwest Passage. Go look at the song. It's a fantastic song. Um, but it's about a guy following in the footsteps of the Canadian explorers. Well, I guess they're British at that point. Following in the footsteps of the explorers to the Northwest Passage by basically driving that route over the northern Canada. Um, it's a very good song. He also wrote a, uh, a, a sea shanty called Baird's Privateers. Very interesting, dude. Um, Northwest Passage is separately also very interesting. Anyway, uh, that, uh, that campaign might be interesting, but it's basically only interesting because it's an exploration campaign, right? It's otherwise a standard exploration campaign. And this is a thing that... I think hasn't been handled well by the rules. I think the Paizo 2E, uh, or the Pathfinder 2E, rather, uh, exploration rules are um, an interesting, or, or are a good start, but I don't think they're a full full thing. And then when I was t- talking to Buddy about this, he mentioned that a while ago he was doing his own campaign, and he had thought also about exploration rules. So I f- we figured it would be a good episode to talk about. Anyway, Buddy, do you have any opening thoughts on this? Okay, so here's my core thing, my core question. I don't quite have a, a, a hypothesis in the way that I do with some of these other theory videos. My core question is why, right? Because this is something that translates so well into games that we all like love, right? It translates so well into, right, uh, to be topical like Valheim, but even just like Minecraft, right, or Ark, or any of these sorts of Factorio, right? Skyrim we're constantly, even, right? Skyrim, yeah, we're constantly in these games that are about, you know, like, exploring the wilderness, this, like, vast kind of un unknown space, and you're going through and you're sort of charting it down. I think that there is something really, like, fundamentally fun about that. And video games have captured that fun incredibly well, as far as, far as I'm concerned, right? But I just don't, I haven't seen it in, in D&D, which is part of why I wanted to run a campaign along these lines, right? Um... And I, I, I put a bunch of work into one after, after Hell's Rebels. There was a while where I was, like, working really hard on, like, prepping this, like, exploration campaign. Like, the idea of which was um, that, you know, it's sort of like a new world 
it's it, it, the idea was it's called Seventh Expedition. So the idea is that there were like seven like different attempts at exploring the new world, and they all sort of ended in disastrous failure and the players are the seventh of those which right? is also so, like the northwest passage which is also like the northwest passage right it's also like lewis and clark i was thinking yeah. in lewis and clark terms i was like what happens if like lewis and clark got sent out by you know thomas jefferson and just never came back right and that happened a bunch of times right um because these you know the wilderness or whatever this new place is so dark and foreboding which i really like as a campaign idea because it kind of both has the set up for you know um like the new stuff in the world right like you come across a new patch of land and there are you know whatever there's some ancient secret that no one that no human eyes have ever seen you're completely in the dark but there's also that ability to like there's the mystery right oh this is the, this is a journal from the fourth expedition and we now have information about what happened to them right kind of solving those mysteries i think those two things together are like are like fun um and interesting but the whole idea of it was it's an exploration campaign where you're trying to fill in a map basically right you're trying to go sort of from location to location and chart a course go deeper every time right, right. this is something this is a core thing that i capture very easily in video games but as I've never successfully found in a tabletop RPG, the idea of like, um, I venture out for a couple of days, I prepare myself for that venture, right? Like I, I pack enough food and I repair all my stuff or whatever. And I might make like, a, I might like make camp along the way or whatever. And then I'll go reach my goal and then I will go back to base. And this is a multi-day sort of excursion, right? So over the course of, let's say, five days, two of which are sort of like traveling with camping involved. And this is a very core D&D idea, but it isn't something that has ever really been systemized well. Like, this is the thing that's built for, like, random encounters, which are terrible. You know, everybody yeah. hates random encounters, right? And so I, I, so I don't have a good answer for that question. I don't have a good answer for that why question. Um Maybe it's a maybe it's just like a an exploring a three D space is better than theater of the mind. I don't know. That's maybe the first clue. Yeah. Uh, so part of this, like, you know, there's this joy of discovery, which I, which I agree with you on. I think I think so. I think part of the reason why it doesn't work well in existing systems is a lot of them are kind of pass fail roles with no degree of success, and like that's kind of it, right? Like you spend two, de you know, like you spend the hour exploring the hex, and then like you roll a perception check, and that's basically it. Right. And like part of part of what like makes this what makes combat compelling, because I, I think combat, the thing that these D20 systems do best is like you get a lot of attempts, you know, a lot of bites at the apple. Um, and you can especially you can have like basically degrees of success, right? Like on top of like hitting and maybe critical hitting, you also um, roll damage. and That damage might be good or it might be bad. Right. Like, you know, various abilities have saves or whatnot. So that all gives you kind of like a, a texture, I guess, of, of outcomes and like. They're also varied enough that, like, you know, this is this kind of almost relates to what we were talking about, right? Like, you know, um, uh, uh, you, you have varied combat encounters. I think the problem is is uh, with a lot of exploration stuff is a lot of it is kind of the spiritual equivalent of um, of parsing on patchwork, right? Like, you know, you're just rolling against kind of like an arbitrary number, a number that's usually kind of hard to define, right? Like, when when you're fighting, like, say, like, you know, the 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 big dumb brute that's backed up by the backed up by like kind of like the smart wizard right like you can make some smart decisions and be like okay 
I'm going to use the thing that forces a fort save against a wizard and the thing that forces a will save against a dumb brute. Or you'd be like, aha, I have, I have made the smart decision, I have targeted my spells correctly, and that feels rewarding in some ways. Um, right? And that, that's a little bit more direct mechanical complexity. Um, I think part of it, too, might be kind of like, and may, maybe you can get away with this more with, with new players, but like the... Um, the kind of behind the veil, right? Like, you know, uh, uh, what's it like? Um, things have, like the game has to keep running at some point, right? Yeah. Like, which which is this kind of like, if I'm pulling back the, if I'm, you know, if I'm looking in this exploration, like how does it, does it actually feel like I'm discovering something? Which I think is a little bit harder to sell just kind of uh, off the top. Um, which, which I think goes back to your point, like maybe 3D space is just a better sell than theater of the mind but yeah especially because like something that i feel like happens kind of commonly is you walk into an encounter and it feels like you know the gm had something kind of scripted there and there's that impulse in a way to sort of follow the railroad right where it's just like you know if i'm if i'm running through minecraft and i you know encounter whatever because because i know it's all procedurally generated right like i'm kind of reacting much more on the fly whereas something that is more like handcrafted doesn't feel that same doesn't feel that same way i guess i don't know i don't know how i feel about that right like part of me thinks that this is a um this is something that is gms don't do enough of right where maybe the true version of this is you have a map and it has a hundred hexes and the gm spends however 100 hours planning out what's in each and every one of those hexes and every single one is is a kind of like a real solid encounter or or more maybe right that um that isn't something you're just like rolling random on a on a table but i like i wonder if that is too you know does that feel too scripted does that does that sort of like remove in a way like the agency of uh of the players and this is something that i do think is possible right like i i guess i'm operating under that philosophy when i talk about seventh expedition that was how i was approaching seventh expedition right um but uh i do think that there is just something to it compared to the world of like i'm walking and i just happen to find this monster right and i have to kind of like deal with that sort of thing on the fly you know what i mean yeah yeah i i i agree i, I think there's i think another part of this is is in, uh, I think it relates relates to what you were to what you were saying. Um, is is that there's not a lot of uh, like in terms of like those scripted things, it's like not a lot of cleverness together. Like because that's I think part of the excitement of discovery, right? Like you know in Minecraft, in Minecraft it's a little bit less because like you're but like you can cut through things, right? Like you can uh, warp the terrain in. Something like Skyrim, sometimes it's a matter of, like, finding the right entrance or, like, figuring out how to get around it. And, you know, there's, I think, a level of glee there when, you, you know, when you manage to sequence break something and get, you know, you know horse, uh, horse mountain climb your way over into a place that you're not supposed to be early or, or something like that, which I think is part of this. Um, with uh, a lot of these encounters in, in tabletops, it's less kind of, like, can I figure out how to cleverly do this and can I roll the like a high enough climb check or something which like yeah. I think like 
in theory, should be kind of in this on the same way, where like I prepared my character to climb, therefore I can you know outsmart this. But like it doesn't feel the same because it's just kind of a uh, a raw roll. Um, so maybe like um, maybe, maybe there's a way to do that. I, I something that popped into my head is maybe like you know setting up kind of like barriers you can't barriers that the players can't overcome um, that you run into relatively quickly, right? Like so like you know at the beginning of your like this is harder to do for an exploration campaign because it implies a lot of backtracking but like you know you run into a wall that you can't scale or you know the kind of classic version of this is like you know an enemy you can't defeat and that's very visible and so you yeah, have to run away like death death what are they called death claws yeah, yeah north of the starting town in fallout new vegas right you most players run north towards vegas encounter death claws get shit stomped and then do go south right um kind of along the along the loop which i actually like to be honest i think that that, that was good game design um because like you know if you are clever if you are smart if you you know use the sneak skill at night and can slip by maybe you can right like maybe you can kind of get past you know the the train yard of death claws um but uh but most players will sort of like react to the environmental stimulus and go you know and go south but i think part of that is that games have a better like video games have a better way of showing players that they are not prepared for right. encounters because they can kill them right right in a, in a pathfinder game if you go north when you when the north hex is built for a level eight party and you're a level one party and you tpk that feels awful that's terrible right yeah but in fallout it's just a reloaded state that's not a big deal at all which almost makes me wonder like you know, maybe you could set up some kind of crazy, just like, I don't know, you respawn. Yeah, so you this is... say that, like, the, 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 by magic, the characters are respawning, right? Or something like that. This is, this is actually a thing that I was thinking of. I was, I, basically, roguelite popped into my head, and, like, there, there's an Angry GM article from some time ago that where he's, like, somebody challenged me to, like, run a campaign where death wasn't a real obstacle, right? It's like, well, and so, basically, he was, like, well, when the characters die, they all spawn in like this, you know, graveyard. They're like cursed or something, right? And like, you know, you can you can you know futz with that a little bit, right? If you die too many times, yet. But like, essentially, the game becomes almost a roguelite, and that would work. But that's also like a weird way to treat a an exploration campaign, right? Like, I think that's an interesting thing to do, but I don't know if that like really hits the same kind of things as like a, a true exploration. Like, that's I think a good dungeon delving campaign. Right where where you die, you pop up back to the surface, but you keep you know you keep your experience right. Um. You know, I do think that that could make for a good exploration campaign, specifically with the right. So you need a couple things. One, corpse runs, which would be a, which would be a thing, right? Like you die, your weapons and armor are left out there, right? And you might have to get them back. And I think that that's a kind of neat. You know, like that is a that's like a neat mechanical hurdle for people to get across. And two, encumbrance has to be a thing. Maybe this is maybe this is a key because like part of what I'm thinking about is like, um, you know, something that I do. Valheim has the has the option. You know, it, it's an exploration game. It has the option for you to mark a map, right, and label the mark. So it's pretty common for me to go out into the forest, into wherever, right, come across something like, oh, here's a dungeon. But I don't have the inventory space to do it, or I'm, I'm too low, or my my equipment is broken, or something like that. Or I know I'm looking for pine wood. I'm not here for, 
you know, a dungeon. So I just mark it on the map and I come back to it sort of later or whatever. Part of the, that decision is an encumbrance decision, right? If I'm looking for pine wood, I'm going to fill up my weight, my encumbrance with pine wood. And I don't want to spend essentially encumbrance on this trip on whatever is down in the dungeon, right? Also, if I find a copper deposit, right? I don't want to waste my, I don't want to waste my encumbrance on copper. I'm going to mark the copper on the map. And the next time I need copper, I'm going to come back for it kind of that thing i feel like the encumbrance rules are necessary for creating that because that is specifically not a thing that happens for me in minecraft where i eventually you know you don't quite have a limitless inventory but you have effectively, effectively yeah. valheim yeah a, a much 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 more expanded inventory right and i'm making decisions constantly about valheim based on my encumbrance whereas in, in something like minecraft i'm not and so i think if i were to be pitching this sort of roguelite experience where like let's say the characters respawn in seventh expedition i said that there's an island off coast that is properly settled right but that the continent itself is not right so sort of um that that serves as home base that's how people have access to shops and stuff and if you need to do whatever you know like whatever that kind of stuff happens right it can happen on essentially the island um Maybe there's a thing where it's just like, okay, you respawn on the island, but you're naked, right? So banking and inventory management becomes a big deal because dying, it, I, I feel much less, I feel much better about killing people, right? Dying is not, is not something that I'm going to shy away from or I'm going to protect my players from, right? Um, TPKs is not something I'm going to protect a party from, right? I'm going to allow a party to TPK because I know they're just going to pop up on the back end. And it is up to the party to properly manage themselves, right? They have a chest at their home base where they can go, okay, you know what? We all died. We need to go back and get our stuff, which means we're going to have to go to the local whatever and buy a bunch of kind of, uh, you know, smoothed over gear, that, that allow me to like make the corpse run and get back to my corpse or conversely one of my one of my players dies in the middle well now the other players have to then loot his corpse and, and dedicate their encumbrance to carrying the weight and that's sort of like a death penalty that's not a tpk kind of penalty i think those systems in general maybe work together in such a way that you could get them to work in a tabletop situation so that's maybe my first hypothesis of this of this podcast yeah is that if you have if you have that kind of encumbrance and death system maybe you can make it work a little bit better so i i think that's actually a really cool idea i, th I think that because so i think the difference between seventh continent or seventh expedition and northwest passage is that that works if you're doing kind of like a generalized explore, which is kind of like what um, you know Kingmaker is. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas like the Northwest Passage is kind of like a one-way trip, right? So like making oh, it. Oh yeah, interesting. Uh, like, and also I I, I I kind of refuse to accept that the way to do this is to kind of like fundamentally break the death mechanic, right? Like there, there's there's got to be a better way to like make this work with with kind of like the the existing mechanics right like and you know like i think that's a very cool idea for a very cool campaign but i, I think there's got to be a way to, to to make the exploration work without kind of leaning on those things i think the thing that you're um kind of touching on that i think makes a lot of sense is one i think encumbrance needs to be part of it um mm -hmm. and like you have to do a lot of like planning i think part of this too is that what you're what the what the death rule lets you do and you identify this is it lets you kind of shortcut the fact that there's not a great way to telegraph that you're going to die, right? Like, I mean, maybe maybe the answer there is, like, in, 
making that telegraph better. Um, right, like figuring. Oh, I out... see what you're saying. Yeah, I get that. Maybe in Seventh Expedition, you have the. No, this is dumb. Well, okay, I'm gonna complete this thought just for the sake of it. I was thinking, in Seventh Expedition, maybe you have a certain amount of like scouts, right? So you can have sort of people who are not the party test for you certain kinds of encounters. So, like, hypothetically speaking, if you discover a troll in a hex, right, you could have a scout party deal with it as a way to... But I think, first of all, one, that's too unwieldy. Second of all, that kind of removes the fun of exploration, in yeah. a way. Because um, part of the fun of exploration is, like, you figuring this shit out on your own sort of thing. So, yeah, I do think that it is about tele telegraphing. Um, and, part of, and, and, and maybe part of this is a better way to inflict massive damage or um or prevent massive damage i guess in ways that players kind of like understand i guess players understand when they take a big hit right but like because we tend to kind of hold off on you know on d describing hit point values we don't have the same way that if i go to a skyrim dungeon and i and grossly underleveled for that dungeon and i hit an enemy with my sword attack and i know how much because i see the health bar how much my sword attack is supposed to chunk their health bar if it only goes down boop, little sliver i'm like oh oh no 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 this is too bad and then i want to leave right but like dnd doesn't have a great way to telegraph that yeah i mean players. so some, some of the online systems do right like i think roll 20 and and uh and uh, at least um, fantasy grounds have options where you can like show the health bar without actually showing the number, and I think that, that actually yeah. accomplishes that. But like that, you on the, on a pure tabletop, right? Like you need like <laughs> you need a better system for that, right? Like you know, yeah, red health yeah, bars that you like erase smidgens on or whatever. But that, I don't think that that quite works, right? Because like, even communicating that like it doesn't look like the creature is affected by this at all, you know, like that it doesn't it doesn't have the same sort of. Um, I feel like I hear that all the time, you know? Right. And, and, and there is an implicit assumption when I walk into a D&D &D game that any encounter the DM is going to show me is one that I am going to be able to complete. Right. Um, and that's sort of the, the problem that, te like, telegraphing needs to help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe there's an environmental way to do this. This is another Valheim thing um, where certain areas of the map will have a kind of like an, so for instance if i go to a mountain but i don't have like fur clothes i'm gonna get the freezing like condition and the freezing condition is gonna slowly tick away my my health so i know okay i can't go to the mountains yet that I, i'm gonna have to figure out some way to get there which is sort of like a soft lock on it right um <clears throat> maybe something sort of along those lines might, might so work that, that's an interesting thing there are environmental rules um in in pathfinder that i don't think i've ever seen used in either edition right like you know like yeah you but know. i think the the environmental rules are yeah this podcast is brought to you by valheim by the way <laughs> the the environmental rules are built to be overcome in a way like they are a sort of a um you know like a status effect that runs under the course of the encounter right um <clears throat> What I'm, what I'm describing is something that is more prohibitive than that, right? Okay. Where if I walk into if I walk into a desert and I'm taking ticking every minute, I take five HP damage. 
that's a lot different than me being like, like rolling fort saves to stop from being exhausted or whatever you know like the rules are always very tame with this kind of right. thing okay such that it's like oh you go into the desert and your your burly fighter he can withstand it but your wizard now has a debuff for the duration of the stay i do think that those mechanics are good by the way and i would want to use them in an exploration game quite heavily but i don't think that they are fulfilling the game design purpose that i'm that i'm outlining yeah no i i i, I get what you're saying i get what you're saying um uh you also zoomed in real far just now uh oh oh my god oh it did it again man i do not understand hold on i know how to fix this oh you zoomed out again you yeah, 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 yeah. It's because of this, like, Logitech capture um, thing that we... Uh, yeah, you can tell both of us are using it because you have a Logi in your lower right-hand corner and I have an Eichel in my lower left since I'm mirrored. But, um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so I think I agree with you. I think environment's uh, a tool in that toolbox. Um, I do think... I, I feel... <laughs> I feel like what I really want is a good way to do this with creatures. Because I think that's, like, I think, like, you know, you need to, like, maybe set up the battlefield so that, like, you know, it's like a giant troll. And he doesn't fit into the cave that you just came out of. But he smashed your party member and you can drag him back in and you're safe in there. And it's like, you know, you, know you oh, can't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's actually huge. One of the things that I think is a big deal about games like Minecraft or, like, WoW or something, for instance, is the ability to drop combat, which is not something that D&D supports very well. So I think that that's a necessary piece of the puzzle, is you have to be able to drop combat. If you are in a losing combat, you need to be able to retreat pretty safely. Um, and uh, Or, like, if you kind of come upon an encounter, you need to kind of be able to mitigate that encounter pretty safely. Yeah. No, I, I, think, I think that's actually a good point. I think you need to set, like, I think this is, like, a, a lot of encounter design things that, like, yeah. you know... Uh, you know, set up, you know, that, like, there's a bird that's kind of sitting there he's not particularly observant, so you can, like, kind of get close enough, but, like, not, you know, with, or, like, um, you know, figure out ways to, like, you know, maybe there's, like, a thing that, like, you know, you, you hint it, right? Like, you, you, like, when you're launching off of, on this expedition, one of the things that they give you is some way to, like, retrieve a fallen ally or, or something, right? Like, you know, like, uh, like I, I, that's, that's like a limited use, right? Like you know, like oh, uh, like a scroll of town portal or something, right? Yeah. If somebody gets really fucked up, they can just zap out. Right. Um. And hey, that's actually kind of like a, uh, uh, what's it called? Like, like you could build that into like a, a talisman, right? Like this is another thing I was thinking about with your with your roguelite thing is like this don't like let people use like talismans or um, uh, or or uh, you know, kind of like scrolls more, right? Like 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 temporarily consumable things, um. You know, it's like, oh, like, you know, if, if you get hit, um, that you would go down, like, it's essentially, like, orc, orc ferocity and a talisman or something um, that, like, will give you the opportunity to uh, to get out. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I do think that those sorts of effects would be really useful. Obviously, I wouldn't want something like a Hearthstone, uh, like a World of Warcraft Hearthstone, I mean. But I think that that effect... As a as a high price consumable, like as a kind of break in case of emergency sort of thing, would actually be really nice, right? Um, if I was in a party, I would, or if I was running this game, I would probably want to start the party. Everybody has one, and like if you guys get in over your heads, you can just you can get out of there with a certain amount of right. You you wouldn't want people casting it in combat, obviously, but you would want to be able to to preserve their ability to sort of like really retreat and pay a cost, right? But like really retreat from from you know tough negative situations like that. Okay, how how, how about this, right? Like uh, 
it's it's expensive, um, uh, and it's like something that like you like one person can use it and they'll pull the whole party out, right? Um, and then like maybe some like lesser things like things that like let you retreat from the combat without uh, like you know like if you're really screwed, right? Like the 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 thief or the mage can like pull out a scroll of like get the fuck out of here, and like oh I see yeah the three rounds the whole team gets pulled back out and it's like well we're, you know that was our one right but like if you're in the more intermediate case you can like have like you know like the, the the fighter the fighter steps out first he gets smashed by the ogre he goes down but he's got like the you know the trinket of invisible retreat which like you know one round later he gets up uh with a nice stealth bonus and he can like get back to the cave so you guys can get back but like it's not a uh it, it's it's not a you know a, a, a as it's like a get away from here free, but it's not like a win free type thing. And it's not yeah, like, like something if it, if it casts a very temporary invisibility and expeditious retreat. Yeah, and everybody could just hightail it out of there, sort of thing. Yeah, I actually do think that you could probably make it work just on the monsters, right? Like as a GM, if I just communicate to the players, like, listen, monsters are typically doing their own thing, and they're not really interested in like chasing you down naturally. Yeah. So if an encounter goes bad and you want to book it. Just run to the edge of the battle map and book it, kind of thing, right? I actually think that that depicts like a follow-up question about battle maps. See, this is this is another piece of the puzzle. I think the because of the way that battle maps work, you have a break between exploration and combat that that doesn't exist in some of these other games, right? Like, yeah. My exploration in Minecraft is the exact same as my combat in Minecraft. I'm traversing through the exact same space, right? So it is so seamless to go from one to the other and to create, you know, combats that are huge and, and move uh, long distances, right? Um, or also are, like, contained and you're kind of, like, snaking through. And part of, like, that is fun... I think, but is not so well supported in the rules because you need to you need to design ludicrously huge maps, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I I used a lot of pre-rendered maps and I made a lot of maps and the maps I were making were like honestly fucking gigantic, right? Much bigger than 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 lots of other people's maps. But I just think that like that that's a that's a core piece of the puzzle where maybe you would have to um, I don't know almost like kind of like instance the maps like I was talking about like you would have it be it's a square it you know um if you run to the edge of the square and you leave the map the thing isn't expected to chase you right you can kind of leave the combat that way maybe like maybe that kind of thing is is how it works i also don't know that i love like the transition of okay we are now transitioning from an exploration down into the battle map right yeah um I, I think so I think part so some of this I think kind of works naturally right like dungeons I think you can naturally map out the entire thing on the other hand mm-hmm. I think I think part of what you're talking about with these these kind of like condensed versus expanded distances um uh like uh I think it's one of the advantages of something like uh, a, a TTRPG is you could like you know uh you can do really long distances that you can't practically do in um in video games, right? Like, you know, like the, like famously, like Daggerfall is like the biggest game map ever, I think, which is like, you know, and it's all procedurally generated. It's not, it's not thought to be very good, but like, um, like, you know, as Roth, like you can run all the way across Calum door in like probably like half an hour, right? Like on foot, yeah. which is, you know, not very far if you think about it. Uh, right. Um, uh, 
so like uh, and I think like that's supposed to be again like I said a strength right like that, that you can do like these long distances I think maybe the 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 kind of key here is to like not drop into battle map until like the bat like until initiative is rolled right like keep it all in theater of the mind until like a fight happens and at that point like you know it's not like a hard edge of the battle map type thing right like this is a kind of like you know um this is a kind of like you know you you attempt to retreat and like they'll chase you for a while but like uh you know you you can figure out a way to like make disengaging like a a, a real thing right like like in a like you know like survival or stealth out into the woods but part of this too is just kind of like how do you make that feel like realistic right like you know there there's like a situation where like you know you would expect somebody like to, to, to chase you down. Like, you know, if it's like something that's hunting you for food, you'd expect it to hunt you, uh, hunt you down. And so maybe part of this is like that border is a thing where like things are dealing with like, like again, encounter design, right? Like, you know, a fort where like somebody shoots you from the wall and nobody comes out of the fort, but like, you know, that fucking shot hurts. And it's like, uh, maybe we're not, you know, prepared to deal with this. Maybe this is like, uh, you know, or like, it's like I said, like, uh, when you come upon like the big beast it's a thing that can't fit into the hole that you came out of so that you you've got a, a, a retreat like an obvious retreat yeah point. i also think part of this is just in general monster design stuff uh that i don't yeah. see a lot of people using in D D, but would be like like important one of the things um that uh one of the things that i did in Hell's rebels that i thought was very important was you guys fought multiple sort of stages of monsters, right? Like, so, like, the Beastmen were kind of, like, a recurring threat. The first time you were engaging with them, it was, you know, like, it was the first time that you had seen them, but over time, you got better and better at fighting them, and you understood they had persistent mechanics, right? Because they had that blood, they had that, whatever it was called, um, burning blood, right? They had that burning blood thing, and eventually you just didn't even have to deal with it anymore, right? Because I think, you know, Jimmy took like the the cleanse the detox spell so you can just like cleanse the poison um or whatever else but i think that 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 sort of fundamental design is something that is that is lacking a lot of the time from tabletop games where people are just sort of pulling things out of the book and it's not like i have an ability to um you know kind of understand and scale up the the monster experiences or i like i know what to look for because I have fought this before, and I have seen... It's like, okay, well, I've seen Ungors, right? The very low-level Beastmen. Now we're fighting Gores or Bestigors, and these guys are harder, and they're faster, and they're hitting and they're hitting more, but, like, they're still kind of on the same play pattern. Almost sort of like a boss, actually, now that I think about it, in, like, a, in like a WoW dungeon. There's the normal version, there's the heroic version, there's the mythic version, right? And they all kind of pile mechanics on top of one another so that, like, somebody can walk in with very basic competency, never having seen the boss before, and probably, like, get it. Um, and then when they see the heroic version, they're like, oh, it's this but more. And then the mystic version is, oh, it's this but more, right? I think that's very important to an exploration game because it would make, you know, um, first of all, it would kind of, like, establish, like, ecosystems and biomes and stuff like that, which I right. think would be useful, right? Um, but secondly, it would make uh, characters, like, knowledgeable and sort of informed about the threats before they enter combat and roll initiative, right? If you have fought six trolls by now of varying types and varieties, seeing your seventh, you have a pretty good understanding of if this thing is going to fuck you up or if this is, like, a challenge. And I think now that I have said that out, that might be the core. I want to give – I think the core of an exploration game is making players choose the encounters 
Whereas the core of sort of like a more narrative focused game is like they are kind of like progressing through mm. preset encounters, right? I want I want a, I want a an experience where the players uncover the mouth of a dungeon, but they have already they're already three days into their trip. They've burned a lot of pots. They burned all their healing whatevers. You know, um, they're almost full on encumbrance, right? They have they have a lot of stuff in their bags. They go, you know what? Let's mark this dungeon down. We'll come back to it later, right? Or, you know, they they come up to a troll and they say, boy, this troll, you know, we're, we're probably, you know, pretty deep into this troll's territory, into this troll's hunting grounds, but we're pretty fresh. We have, we have done, you know, we haven't done too, too much taxing stuff. I think we should take the troll on, right? Like, I think we should fight the troll. And then it becomes about, like, them choosing to opt into the troll fight, which I... I, uh, that's what it is. I think when I, when I think about what is the like the the fundamental piece that makes an exploration game tick, it's that it's like that piece of like making the choices about how they want to sort of progress and you know uh, go back to base. Yeah. No. I I I think that that absolutely makes sense. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Um, I think that um, what what. What's part of this too? Um, I think I think part of it too is like, um, so rather the thing I want to specifically bring up is is uh, Pathfinder Two actually has a it has roles right like your your Arcana, your a religion, occult and nature are supposed to be like kind of your four fundamental knowledge roles, um, okay. and the guidance on the skills isn't particularly great. It's like if you beat the if you beat the DC that you've that you've decided. They learn some information. If they beat it by more, they learn some more. And, like, that's, like, it's, like, basically that level of kind of, like, tell them more, tell them less. And, like, you know, kind of, like, sends you to the wind about, like, how much that should be, right? Like, because, I mean, the other, the flip side of this is, like, you get things, like, I think it was, like, 40, where you get, like, bear lore. Um, uh, where, you know, like, you need to roll high levels to, like, learn things that would be considered basic. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's a, it's a problem of kind of, like, necessity. But, like... I've seen, like, my GMs for the PF2E games I, I've played have tried to systemize a little bit more. It's like, oh, you get, like, one fact, and then, like, if you get a crit, you get, like, a second one um, or something, which is, and they've got, like, a list of things that you could learn about the creature. And I'm not a huge fan of that, but I think that um, that's kind of, like, the right kind of, like, uh, uh, kind of, like, baseline, right? Like, you know, you roll, and if you beat it, you get some, like, very basic information, and, like, maybe you can target something if you, like, want to know uh, you know, like, oh, I want to know, I want to try and recall, like, what this thing's weaknesses are. But I think part of that should be also kind of, like, comparative CR, right? Like, you know, like, yeah. Um, and that's how you can kind of get that kind of, like, you know, health bar not going down type of thing. It's like, this thing looks like it's going to kick your ass, right? Like, um, and basically the, the thing there is to give players the opportunity to do that before they actually get into a fight. Um, it costs an action, which... Um, you know, uh, usually so, at least in my experience, somebody will go for the role and figure it out, but like, um, and like, I think like Rangers can do it for free and so, or like one particular type of Ranger, like one of like the paths is like monster hunters. Um, and that will like, I think like kind of like emphasizing those mechanics, I think it's maybe the, the, the right way to do it. Cause it, it enables yeah. players to make those choices. I'm actually pretty down for this. And I think, I think you are correct specifically because I like the puzzle atmosphere of it in the sense of um, 
Okay, so he, so here's sort of like a, a a skeleton of systems that I feel like I feel like kind of scratches this niche. Let's say I'm the GM, right? The players are a party, a pretty standard whatever like like party. They enter a hex for the first time, right? So they enter a new area. They get basic information about that area. But what biome, right? Maybe um, they they get like time of day or whatever. Um, all, all of that kind of stuff. And then they have an opportunity to sort of make like, uh, make the check, right? But the check itself takes a, a, a prohibitive amount of time. Not like, not like super prohibitive, but like you can't spam it, right? So less than an action. Let's say it takes like an hour, right? It takes an hour for your wizard to do Arcana, right? And that's the only thing your party could do at the time. Okay, this is falling apart a little in my head. So it's like the only thing your party could do. So like as you enter the the place, right? And you get you get a basic blurb of information. Oh, this, you know, you came from the hills. The hills have now sort of flattened a little bit, but uh, a, bu a bunch of pine trees have sprouted up. And, um, you know, there are indications of, uh, of like bark stripped from random trees as, as you start to look around, right? And the group might go, hmm, okay, that's interesting. We have a couple of different skills here. And if we apply them individually, we're going to get different kinds of information. So maybe the druid uses nature. Oh, well, the bark ripping is actually a thing that bears do. This is probably bear territory, right? Like, this is the good information. Let's say the party chooses poorly. And it's like, oh, maybe this is a religious thing. And we're going to use religion and see if that, you know, I don't know, this is whatever. And the GM might go, you get nothing, right? And now the hour has progressed. So, like, the players have lost, a, like, a real sense of time. And if they want, they can do it again, right? They can just sort of spam through all of the skills. But as that time mounts, so does sort of, like, their danger, their exposure, whatever else, right? So let's say maybe the first one is free. The first two are free, even. But by the third one, now you're rolling to see if the bears notice you, right? By the sixth one, the bears absolutely notice you kind of thing. Um, what would you say about a sort of system along those sorts of lines? Okay. Or does that does that sort of like fill your so, requirement? So I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking of some of some of these things some of, some similar systems that I thought of or that I, that I've thought of that I've heard of in the past, which is again there's an angry GM one, which is like, you know, as time passes, you like basically drop a d6 into a, a bowl, and then like whenever like enough time has passed, you just roll like you roll the dice, and if one comes up a six, something happens. Right, and it's like oh yeah 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 we talked about this. I actually like that mechanic a lot. Yeah, yeah, we, we yeah. talked about that. Before. Especially in burst, it's very kind of like visceral because like you know you know you just kind of like ominously drop the die into like the the pot, right? So it's like you know times ticking, right? Um, that kind of thing. Um, but I think I think I think part of the, part of the thing that gets to me is that I think so. I think part of this is that. GMs tend to want to roll too many of these dice in secret because that's like more realistic. I think you kind of want the um, like some of this to be out in the open so that like you can kind of get a sense of how far you're progressing, right? Like, you know, you want to like instead of just like rolling the perception in secret and then like, you know, somebody tells you nothing happens or it's like something happens, you roll it out in the open, you have a sense of how well you've done, and maybe you've got like a percentage for like how explored the hexes or something, right? Um, and along with that, right, you've got you got to give them, I think, some more interesting choices um, in terms of your system, right? Like, you could have, you know, everybody in the party 
rolling, you know, knowledge checks. But at that point, right, like, you know, maybe, you know, that doesn't mitigate at all against something sneaking up on you, right? Like maybe, maybe the fighter uh, is, has decided that, you know, I'm not great on like figuring out what the hell's in this region, but I am good at making sure that we don't get snuck up on, right? So while you guys are trying to figure that out, I'm, you know, doing a patrol and figuring that out. And so like that has some like known effect on like the chance of getting, you know, if combat happens, that's a problem. The problem, the big problem here is actually very related to, um, to, to last time's discussion, right? Like I think part of the biggest problem here is that like what you can just, you can devise these clever systems, but it's very hard to get the system to go to a point where you're making different decisions each time, right? Like yeah, I actually so and this is part of what I what I'm trying to create, right? Which is like a um, if you give people a basic thing, and it's and they only have a limited choice, are they going to choose correctly or are they going to choose poorly, right? Like are they going to read the you know. It's sort of almost like Tavern Keeper in that way, right? Like, are you going to read the quest text to know that you're sending the right person on? In this sense, it's, are, are you understanding the basic prompt well enough that you are applying the correct skill choice to it, right? So, like, you know, your default might be nature every time, but nature isn't going to have the answers, right? And sometimes you might get, you know, you might get wrecked because you didn't quite catch on that there was something more to, you know, sort of this encounter. But I actually think that your example with the fighter is something that, that is also really interesting that I would also want to, like, delve into a little bit. I, I kind of like the idea of having a more robust system for, like, imagine it's the dice bowl, right? And you can make actions that give you information at the cost of those dice, but you could also make actions that remove those dice, right? Mm. So, for instance, if the ranger is going to be scouting, making his nature check, trying to see, are there animals here that are, that, you know, that are dangerous or that are we're in their territory? Uh, you know, the cleric might be casting a spell or something kind of like along those lines, like a ritual to see if there's any ambient spirits here or something like that. The fighter could be you know, using perception checks to try and defend against them. So they're adding to the dice pool. You're removing from the dice pool. And that, and the dice pool kind of becomes like the the indicator for the party about like where they're, like how much they are willing to risk for the information inside of, like inside of the hex. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's interesting. I think the key is, like, I think, I think that's about right. I think the key is building enough different types of hexes so that each one of those dice pool feels like a unique challenge. People are making different decisions yep. in those in those uh, situations. And you would have to have enough different actions that, like, it's not correct for the party to execute the same procedure yeah. every time, right? Yeah. Um, which I think is that that's actually probably the most difficult part. Yeah. I think it would be very easy to say, oh, the ranger steps around, the wizard casts a spell, the cleric does whatever, right? When you really want to create more variety so that players can really target what they are what they are doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I, th I think that needs to come with, like, a lot of kind of, like... I think it needs to not just be checks. Like, in, in terms yeah. of... Like, like, and I don't mean that, like, you know... Like, I think there needs to be a strong narrative behind that. You know right. what? Actually, I have a better idea for this, which is not a not a necessarily like a better idea, but it is a. Um, imagine that there's like a pretty robust kind of clue system. This is something I was thinking about for Seventh Expedition, right? Like one of the narrative things that's nice about the expeditions is because there are six of them and they have all failed, right? Presumably, right? They never returned yeah. back to 
kind of civilization. You have uh, narrative through lines for what happened to each of those, right? So I could follow the clues. I can go to a place. I discover, oh, here's a here's a grave site for this person. And you cross-reference that with information you know. Oh, this person was a member of the third expedition. And they died because of this thing. And at the grave site, you discovered you know, a compass, but the compass is broken. It's pointing in a different direction. And then this is giving you information about like different other hexes. And if this system is big enough, in my in my head, this is sort of like in, in the way that I wrote this for that campaign, this was built around breadcrumbing the, the narrative through line, right? If you want to follow the story of the sixth expedition, you can, you just go, hex to hex to hex to hex to hex and you're going to be doing all the other things in those hexes right but it does give you kind of like a light narrative direction to follow but maybe the answer is you're getting these clues all the fucking time right you're getting them constantly in any individual one hex you're going to get four to five pieces of information about other hexes right and you can catalog that information for the players right so at a certain point the players can be exploring and then they can say, hey, you know, we have like five or six pieces of information about this hex. We really know what's going on here. And this is a good time for us to go after it because we have a very solid understanding of what's here, right? And it also creates that decision-making I was talking about earlier where the player now goes, boy, the next logical hex for us to go on is this one, but it is completely dark. We've discovered no information about it. And I'm really nervous about kind of like walking into that sort of alone, right? But in a situation where you have these sorts of pieces of information, you're getting these sort of sorts of breadcrumbs, it almost functions the way that, um, the way that like the quest breadcrumbs in Skyrim do, right? Where it'll put the marker on your map for a dungeon there, and all you have to do is sort of like get there and go for it. And like you do the, and do the thing. And I think that that would actually be really interesting and really powerful, and you could build it into this system, right? Where like, sorry, to, I didn't, I didn't actually explain this part, but like the, those clues are then gated by the decision-making. Does that make sense? So, I, so it is less about, let's discover what this hex is. Let's discover clues about other hexes by making smart choices with the skills that we're using. Does that make sense? It does, and I think you're mostly right. I think the thing that you need to do pair with this is get rid of hexes, right? Like, I don't think you... Oh, interesting. I think you want to be like, and you want to pick up a clue, right? I think like the inciting incident is like, you know, go f like, you know, the the sixth you know like the sixth expedition like you know like somebody ran you know it's like a page from them ran back and it's like the sixth expedition's already fucked right like somebody go save them right and like that's your first thing and you you know you have a point on the map and then you can adjudicate the again I'm gonna reference the angry GM he's he's got a thing about this I think where like you know you point where you're going and you know you've got the map so you can figure out how you're going to get there but it's not bounded by a hex so there's not kind of like is that kind of like the the you know color in the map type of stuff, which I actually don't think is. I think the problem is that's not actually compelling, right? Like, um, uh, you know, maybe maybe you can like have like ways to find like sites um, along the way, right? Like to like add a little bit of pizzazz into it. But I think you actually kind of want to like do um, kind of like narrated overworld travel that takes like some real world time but not a ton and isn't super dependent on kind of like um you know rolling skill checks to fully explore areas if that makes sense i don't know man abandoning hexes is tough because it's such a like yeah. i agree with you that it's not super compelling but it's like an incredibly important i feel like a organ organizational tool like i just feel like there's like no good way to organize a map without hexes 
Um, I mean, maybe you still could. It just w it wouldn't necessarily have to be. You have to bunch the map out into into discrete chunks like that, because otherwise, all of this stuff it feels like falls apart. You know, but so, maybe that's like a GM thing. Like the yeah. GM knows. Like the GM has a hex are, map, right? Yeah. Yeah, and maybe it's not even hexes, right? Like maybe there are sections of the maps that are big, long, you know, rectangles. Some that are circles. Some that are, you know, whatever. Like a mountain might be on the map as a triangle, and you kind of have a jigsaw. The GM would have like a jigsaw understanding of what that map looks like, right? Yeah. Um, um, so like like all a, the different situations. So like an extra, like a real map, right? Like a detailed, like you have a detailed map. The players have like a yeah. Like but, a, and like and like for the GM, right? You would still have discrete locations and boundaries for going from one area to another area, per, perhaps, right? But for the players, you could even ask them. You could say you could kind of give them a free map, and you could say, okay, well, where do you go right yeah. and they might make mistakes like go they they want to beeline to a place and they might not take the road right which is one let's all say it's one squiggly area right they might go through two additional areas and have to deal with those two additional areas right. so i actually do that okay that's that's fair i actually think that is maybe my favorite way of organizing the map even if it would take some serious cartography skills. Right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I actually... Because I do think that hex maps are a little gross in the sense that they do look, uh, you know, I don't know. They just, they look artificial, like manufactured, right? Yeah, and I, I think that, may, like, I think this is, I think the cartography skills is, like, a, a lot truer than, than maybe you realize, which is, like, like, actually drawing a compelling map is tough. And also, like, in the real world, a lot of, space is boring right like you know like yep. you like in order for like you know tri you know like hexes that are that have interesting things in them to make sense like you need to have a lot of bland and boring hexes which i don't think is the right way to do it i think it's kind of like you need you need to have like you need to be able to kind of like yada 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 over the the empty hexes right over kind of the, the blank space but like in a way that like still lets you kind of like I want to, like, give the impression that, like, you're traveling a, a long distance where, like, nothing's happening. It's kind of boring without actually having to make the players bored, um, which is... No, well, so I actually think that that's a piece of the exploration that I want to keep in... To, to, to put this in video game terms, if I'm in Skyrim and I want to go to the dungeon, I think it's a real thing that I walk up and, oh, holy shit, there's two giants, and now I have right. to deal with the giants, right? And I feel like that, that that's kind of what having all these discrete populated areas sort of, sort of accomplishes, right? Because it also sort of means that maybe I get to the dungeon, but boy, those giants really kick the shit out of me. So we just kind of place a flag and say, we'll come back to this later. And maybe you could do quite, kind of a fast travel version of it. You've already cleared the hex. You've already killed the giants, right? You can move through that without any, you know without without having to like re-roll on some kind of like random encounter table or if you do it's like much much more diminished comparatively yeah no i i i, I think i think a lot of this is, is absolutely is actually going to be kind of like you know and then you travel the day without without much happening and then you go to sleep right yeah. and, and you know. i actually think that it might be possible for you to travel through maybe maybe you could travel through hexes without kind of upsetting the encounter maybe like the you you go through a hex and you think that there's nothing wrong there but it's just because like you didn't proc the dragon that's in there kind of thing yeah so and he swoops down the next time you move through that hex because you think that it's it's fine yeah I, 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 the problem i have with that is like is is like i think if you're like that's why i think you want to be out of the hex frame because like if you think you've cleared a hex and it's not cleared like that just like 
you, you get these kind of like you know like oh, oh I, see what I, you're I failed yeah. the perception check kind of like problems right like which is like you, you never you either never know when you're done or you like you know you're just kind of like coloring in the map right like um yeah think I think you're right I think you kind of want that kind of stuff but I think you also need it to be like kind of like rare and not super t like like maybe, maybe it can't be hard because you you can't blitz a player you can't blitz a party that is like if if they made the decision were too busted to do this dungeon and then you drop a dragon on them they're gonna die yeah and that sucks yeah um and maybe maybe this is kind of like you know like behind the scenes like like you know when you roll the ominous dice pool right like you know, the GM has a pool of things he can pull out of, like, the encounter set there, right? It doesn't have to, like, you know, maybe it's the dragon, maybe it's, like, you know, the pack of goblins, right? Like, and, you know, and the GM, it's the GM discretion to pull out the right one at the right moment. Um, uh, what's, I also, like, like, maybe, like, trailblazing needs to be a thing, like, like, um, you know, like, kind of, like, you can... Colonizing, like, you can create a road so that yeah i don't think it, i don't think it wants to be a, i don't think it wants to be a road road but i think it wants to be like you know somebody's drawing a map and like you know you're you're you know you're 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 doing some whacking that maybe you can you can follow and like you know maybe that's like some survival checks or something um again i don't want to just be like roll a survival check every hex but like some something like that right so that like you know you know like maybe if you find yourself going back and forth across the same patch of land a bunch of times like well maybe we'll spend the effort here to like lay down some like a rudimentary path and it'll take some time or something, uh, but it'll. Well, so, I, so something that I think is interesting about that is the idea of like kind of base building, right? How yeah. do you want to? How do you want to handle, right? Like, because in in a real world version of this, I sort of would want the ability to sort of like make camp, right? right? But there aren't great systems for sort of like making. Not, even making camp is like too minor for what I want to describe. Like making a temporary like stopgap that is not going all the way back to like an established town, right? But like this is a campsite that we are going to return to commonly. This is going to serve as sort of like uh, a, a forward base for us, like a little nexus that yeah. we're going to return to and resupply from all the time. I feel like I would want to create. That's maybe like a later down the line sort of set of systems, but that's a pretty natural thing. Yeah. For an exploring an exploring port party to sort of um, to create, especially as they get farther and farther out there. Yeah. So so maybe 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 this is the like something like you know you find these breadcrumbs, you set out you know on like a, you know a sub expedition to go do those things, right? And like as you're going out and back, right? Like you're doing these you know like the the campaign, and maybe this is kind of, this is maybe kind of like what we're doing with the Star Wars game, right? Like. You know, yeah. each week is kind of like you're going out to something and coming back. And, like, as you're getting further, it's getting harder to get out there with all your resources intact. Um, yeah. Um, and coming back is a problem. So, like, you're building up enough money to kind of, like, all right, we'll put this out here. We'll hire somebody from the town to go watch it, right? To like, set up a, you know, like, you know. or like we've, Yeah, I, I think this, and to be honest with you, I think this is all RP. I think yeah. that uh, my initial instinct was to systemize it, to be like, oh, well, maybe you could build buildings you can make an outpost you can you can put money into building a wall or whatever but i think that 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 all of that is a mistake i want play i feel like i would want players to like rescue someone you like you you rescue people like 
a party of treasure hunters that left the island to go do whatever, like a group of hunters or something. And you rescue them, and they're back at base, but then you can say, hey, listen, we're setting up a stronghold, right, because we want to get into the deeper end of the mountains, but we don't want to travel back to the island the whole time. Why don't you guys sort of plant that stake in the ground, and now, as the GM, I can kind of know, all right, the players have essentially decreed that a town is going to sprout up here, right? And all of that happens in an RP sense without any systemizing to it at all, really. You know I think what? that would actually be very natural and very cool. I think I think you're absolutely right. I, I actually, I think, I think you want to, like, put, like, a lot of, like, um, hooks out there, right? Like, I think you want to be like, oh, and you come across an open, an open field, right? Like you come, like you know, come across a clearing, yeah. right? Like things that like the players can note down and be like, you know, well, this is being a pain. Maybe we should like start something a little bit more permanent. And then you'd be like, okay, like where would that be, right? Like, and you, and you can like you know drive it to the players to be like, we want to start a town, we want to start it here, or you know, we want to start at least an encampment, we want to start it here, and then like you know, have them be like, you know okay, we want to be able to, like, repair our equipment out, you know. I mean, repairing is a, a weird one because there's not great degradation rules in PF2E. But, you know, like, we want we want a blacksmith, right? Like, so we will go back to the town and bring forward, you know, and, and go hire one to come out and do this, right? Or, like, a cook or something. Um, yeah. I think, like, maybe that's, like, supported by, like, slightly better, um, slightly, like, like, something that could be systemized a little bit more is, like, like, uh, you know, like maybe giving some like real value to, um, you know, like lavish accommodations, right? Like, you know, like the, they've, they've, there's, there are systems for like the level of, of food, food and the level of like rest you have, like, you know, accommodation you have, but it doesn't have any like impact. So it's very easy to kind of ignore those things and be like, you know, like, you know, all right, well, we'll, we'll sleep in the, in the, in the freaking but you give everybody like a plus two competency bonus rested buff or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so something like, that applies to the exploration skills, right? Like, you know, yeah. Um, cause that's, I get that for sure. I think that's smart. I, yeah, I, I think I like the idea also that it, that it serves as a little bit of a gold sink, right? Like if you want to start this up, you have to spend the, as a party, like 10 or 15,000 gold or something like that. Because one of the other features about an exploration game is that you have a much wider sort of economic model than in most tabletop yeah. RPGs, right? Like, the way that I did loot in Hell's Rebels was I saw how much gold you guys were supposed to get for the level, I planned out all of the different encounters for that level, and then I divvied up amounts of gold into those different encounters until I, you know, sometimes a little bit over, sometimes a little bit lesser, right? But, like, until I hit that cap, right? So everyone was basically guaranteed to get that, that value. But hypothetically speaking if i'm planning out this like exploration campaign i think it's important actually for players to be able to break that cap in a real way and this also by the way was supported in hell's rebels because i did have like those bonus treasures and stuff like that you guys were pretty ahead of gold cap because you'd found a lot of these or whatever but i think that that's an important piece of the gameplay right if you aren't like if you want to go out and say you know what we just need money we don't need anything else but fucking money right now to you know, hire a bunch of people to go make the outpost that we want at this whatever river fork. You know, um, that I think is really. I think that would be a good way to sort of design the game and allow the GM on the fly to make adjustments to to like how much gold like the players have and how much they're you know kind of like dealing with. I think part of this, by the way, is that I would be pretty restrictive with um, you know items for order 
or whatever. This, yeah. This became a pretty big staple of our games, like, later in the Pathfinder 1E cycle, where, like, people had a pretty comprehensive understanding of, like, the complete magical item, you know, database or whatever, and they were, like, Googling to, ooh, what would be good for my next slot or whatever, and then placing custom orders for their next slot. I feel like in, in a game like this, I would want to be much more haphazard with, with the way, like, loot works. And just, and just lore-wise say, listen, you guys are out on the edge of the world. You're not going to have access to basically anything like along those sorts of lines right? yeah like maybe um, you can get yourself like some fundamental like plus ones and striking runes but like that's like it yeah 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 if you want to get yourself very basic basic level of shit that's fine but i think i would want players to be like you know you delve a dungeon you pick up a plus three spear of whatever the fuck and you go holy shit this is going to be the, the weapon that I'm using for the next, like, three or four levels, right? Yeah. No, um, that's, like, I think a tough thing to also, like, match with, like, you know, people, like, I think I think PF2E does a good job of, like, making them runes. So, like, if you really want, you can just, like, strip them off and put them on, on the weapon you want, which mm -hmm. um, I think is a good system, relatively. Yeah, me too. Um, uh, but, like, I, th I think the, the system actually supports that kind of well, right? Like, you know, like, this is only a level two town. You're never going to have, like, you know... A big enough thing right like and like getting that to be bigger is like a project maybe that like you know you you set foot on but i think you're right like you know we want to make money it's like well you know you, you don't just like go out and like you know you, you can't just like kill a wolf and like find gold in his stomach right um like in a video game but like you could you could like be like well we need to make money let's go back to town let's see if anybody has anything they need done and like you know there's somebody who's like you know like well you know i need more bear pelts but like a really fine bear pelt and then you put a you put a you know you put a breadcrumb on them, right? You know, like it's out in the forest over there. You got to go out to the forest, you know, find the bears, you know, kill them. Or really, you know, like bears are probably a bad idea because yeah, bears I like a more general thing. You might end up in situations where players, you know, they get to a bottom of a dungeon and there's this vast hoard of wealth or whatever, and they don't really need money, so they take the spear and they leave the gold, they leave the rubies, they leave the chest of rubies, but they go back later and they go, oh, you know what? We actually need that stuff, so let's go back and pick up the chest. Right, and then sell that kind of like I think th those sorts of situations would also be pretty. You know, I don't. Natural. So I think I don't think that ever happens. I think like you know you find out. Oh, oh you think? Oh, okay. So players would take the spear, go back, unload, go back to the dungeon yeah. immediately, sell the chest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And now that I say now that I say that out, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they they'll figure out a way to do it. Like you know, you just need to you just need to have a a, a way to like. I th I think part of this too is like. There's like a uh, like there, there's there's a lot of kind of like you know well I want to like you know put this to bed and like put it to bed while I don't have to worry about it right like you know like you know dungeons dungeons clear we don't ever have to deal with it again right like I've done it like we're we're done with it and yeah I do think I would want to create some um, you know like so for instance something I could imagine doing right is like let's say you get to the bottom of the other dungeon. And there's a door, and the door has a seal on it, or whatever. Right. And like, play, and like, it's sort of almost like a Metroidvania in that sense, right? Yeah. Where players they get this thing, and it's like one of their, you know, this is a sealed dungeon door. You need five gemstones or whatever of specific things, and then maybe when they're level eight, nine, ten, they come back and they go, oh shit, this is the this is the thing I needed to get into the like the back half of that. You know, like the back half of that dungeon. I do think that that like that would be a cool thing um, for for an exploration campaign, uh, sort of along these lines, uh, is to get kind of you know essentially keys, metaphorically keys to locks that they will then get later. You know. Yeah. No, I I, I think that's I think I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I, just just to kind of like finish out a thought that I that I had about about like the kind of like you know players gonna shuffle things out. I think this is like a thing where like it's time for the characters, but it's not time at the table, right? Like if you have to like shuffle stuff back and forth, you're not gonna make the players fucking like you know do that out in real time, right? Which is kind of the the thing that works in like say something like Valheim, right? Where it's like you yeah. you actually have to have the person you, your character has to actually walk back and forth. Um, and you can't get mad at the GM for like not letting you yada 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 over it, right? Like it's just, it's just the mechanics of the game. Um, but yeah, but we're 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 like ten minutes over at this point, so I think we should move into our weeks. Unless you had any sure. final thoughts that you want to talk. about. I played an amazing amount of Valheim, as right. everyone who is listening to this podcast understands. Uh, we started playing on the weekend where we all started playing like almost like around midnight. I was just like. I just like saw people online, and I was a little bored and wow. Um, and I was just like, hey, let's see what let's see what Valheim has to offer. And uh, and then we ended up playing to like six a.m. And then the next night we ended up playing to like six a.m. And I have no idea why. Anybody who reads my Twitter sees I I tweeted this. I was like, the, I I cannot define what the secret sauce is here because I've played a ton of these games and very rarely have I gotten quite as sucked. As I have with Valheim, but I got sucked. Uh, Big I suck. Guess, I guess into Valheim. <laughs> yeah, I I haven't played yet. I I'm generally kind of like hands off for like uh, early access titles for now. Um, sure. Uh, but you know, it, it definitely looks super interesting. Um, I've heard that like it also has like more like you know like Minecraft. It's a classic kind of like you can build a castle in the sky because there's no real physics. Um, yeah. Uh, and Valheim. Oh no, there are fucking physics in Valheim. I learned that the hard way, a lot. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what do you mean by that? Like, what happened? Like, did your house fall? Uh, or I something? was building a. Uh, so, if you build, okay, let's say you build like a pole, right? And then you start putting horizontal beams on that pole. They will get. It will get. It won't like droop, right? But it will get less and less stable. So, something that I was doing was I was building a new big building, right? Like a big kind of U. Uh, like building and I was just sort of mapping out the skeleton right um, so I was I was doing that I put like kind of these vertical poles on the corners and I was going like big long stretches of horizontal poles right and then uh, and then friend of the cast Lou ran up and jumped onto the pole and then over it and it created this domino effect where that little stress like broke all of the individual pieces of wood which was uh, which was pretty funny. That, there's a lot of finicky rules about that kind of thing, like how to create kind of um, you know stable and strong you know structures if you want to create something that has two floors or whatever. There's better building materials over time, um, but finagling through those mechanics, uh, like I'm literally just over here. Rachel is working on a bridge, trying to make a bridge over like a river, and she's been doing this for like. Six hours, maybe, like you know, just because it's a it's a very complicated process compared to Minecraft, which is just pop, yeah, pop, well, pop, 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 yeah, yeah. Thing. That's that's a, that's super interesting. It sounds like it's just like be super fun. I, I I'm probably gonna jump something. In the, one thing I want to note that is great here is that Valheim has a rule that you can't do any building without a workbench nearby, which I absolutely love. Um, I didn't understand it at first. I was like, what the fuck is this rule? And then um. Pockets, who is Bonjin, uh, or Gasty in the raid, uh, said it's because they don't want people to do, like, the Fortnite thing, where they're combat building. Um, 
Oh, I, by the way, I'm corrected. The bridge is done. Um, where I'm combat building, right? Where part of my, I'm running around, and oh no, there's bad guys. Pop, 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 pop. Here's a bunch of walls and, you know, a roof. Here's a whole, here's a whole fucking house that I can, like, you know, defend myself from or whatever. Um, because of the way that, uh, because of the way that, like, the building mechanics are very finicky and uh, you need, like, a workbench there, it really pre prevents that, which I think is primo, primo game design. It sounds like it. Sounds like it. Um, it's, it definitely sounds like a thing I'll, I'll check out at some point, but uh, at the moment I've got I've got too much, too many other things to do. Yeah, tell me all about Guilty Guilty Gear. Guilty Gear Strive, the beta. Guilty what? Gear Strive, the beta. Yeah, yeah. So the the beta was this weekend, um, and it's a fighting game. Uh, if you if anybody at home has seen Guilty Gear stuff, it's it feels like Guilty Gear, and it feels great. Um, it's simplified from the kind of old ones in in, in a lot of ways. Like um, these, they're called anime games. Are generally known for being like super combo dependent, and this game is, but it's not nearly as bad. It's a lot more approachable. Um, it just feels great. It's got a lot of style. The Guilty Gear series has always been great about style. Great about yeah. uh, you know great music. It's like everything's like very rock and roll uh, rock and roll inspired. Um, uh, and I just had a great time. It's got good net code. It's got rollback. Um, and you know, I'm not the best player, but I was having fun. Uh, felt like, you know, I felt first time in a long time, I felt like I want to go into the lab and learn what I need to do. It's got enough depth that like, um, that like, you know, there's still stuff to practice, right? There's still enough like kind of physical execution component there. Like I really like Samurai Showdown and I played that for a while. Um, but yeah. the big thing there is just like, there's not combos and like every hit does like a ton of damage, which I liked a lot, but like, there's also like, that's all about playing the game. And it's not as much about execution, which is. I, again, a good thing in, in some ways, but it, it also had terrible netcode. It had, it had some other problems, but like, um, there's not as much a need to, to lab things, at least the, the way that I felt. And maybe maybe I'm very wrong about that, but that's at least that's how it, how it felt to me. Uh, Guilty Gear is like, you know, oh, I'm I need to learn how to like pull off this kind of like, you know, uh, uppercut into air grab. Um, into, you know, oh, if I've got the resources, I'm going to roam and cancel into an overhead type of deal. Like, all this kind of stuff where I'm just, like, sitting there, like, you know, banging out these things over and over and over again, right? Like, you know, I was at the point where I was like, I need to make sure I've got my execution down. So, like, you know, in between matches, um, I'm just, you know, doing the inputs over and over again to make sure that when the time comes and I need to do it in game, I can do it and I can, like, hit the thing. And it just, like, felt so good whenever, like, I got whenever I got it down, right? You know, you know, I read him, I did the proper anti-air and it was a counter hit. So I did the kind of gra air grab. Um, I played Potemkin for anybody who, who watches, who you knows he's a grappler. Um, uh, but like, you know, just like always, like when, when you when you get it just right, it just feels so satisfying, right? Like, you know, you get you get the grab off, you do the, you do the buster, like you do the leap of the air, you, you get the counter hit off. Um, and you just totally dominate someone. It just feels great. Um, I'm so excited for this game to come in, come out uh, for real, um, just because it's 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 been a it's been a blast. It's been a lot more fun with the fighting game than I've had in a while. I can't like besides like the style stuff. Uh, I don't know if I can quite put my finger on it, but it just it just feels good. Feels good, man. Um, yeah. Uh, so that that was the well. That's you know that's good. I th this fighting game stuff is always very weird to hear because like there was a small amount of time where i was like in but this was like 20 years ago at this point right like where i was like in the fighting community um and i'm just like 
I feel like you're describing mechanics in modern WoW, and I'm someone who only ever played classic. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just <laughs> oh yeah, so much more advanced now. I, so so part of it too is that like some some of the stuff is common, but like there's also like series specific stuff. There's stuff that I have to look out right like. OTG means on the ground, which I can never remember. I only remember it now because somebody went over it, right? Uh, or like, like, um, there's some common terms, but like Roman cancel is very specifically a guilty gear term. Um, it gets applied to other things, but it's basically you spend a bar to extend a combo. Um, and there's some nuances there, but like you, know, you, you, you hit a button and instead of supering, you slow down your opponent and you can get another combo off. Um, and it's got different properties and it's, um, like I said, very specific to, to the game, and there's there's uh, other stuff in in there too. But it's like it's it's just enough there for me to like really latch into without being so much that I feel overwhelmed. Like when yeah. I, uh, several years ago, I went to Evo, um, and I saw the the Guilty Gear finals, and it was fucking fantastic. It looked great. I was sitting there, and I literally picked up. Uh, you know, took my phone and they ordered it off of Amazon because I'm like, I want to play this game. And I sat down to play it and it's like, all right, like, do a basic combo. It's 17 button presses. And I'm like, I can't fucking do this, right? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, and the, the bigger part of that is like, I'm never going to be in a position where I can understand that well enough to apply it in a game in a way that makes sense, right? And I think this has definitely brought things down enough so that like, you know, I can see what I'm doing. I know how to apply it. I know like, I know, like, where the decision points are. Um, and it's comprehensible enough to me for me to, like, do it while I'm playing. Like, okay, this is that situation, you know, I can... So this this is... It's a game plan, right? This is a, this is a thing that... The, the, you, know, you need to have a game plan going into a fight. And it's like, I can build a game plan, and I can start to execute on it, and I can recognize where the holes are, and, like, maybe start to build up that game plan. Um, and uh, I haven't felt that way since, like, Street Fighter Four. Um, Street Fighter Five, I think like the potential was there. I just, it just never really grabbed me. But I think I, I think this is like got like a, a thing that I'll like really grab me. But you know who knows? Maybe in like I think it comes out in April. Maybe in like May I'll be like yeah I played it for a week and now I'm done. But you know we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, uh, well, well, very cool. The other thing I did this week was run a fucking gazillion mythics. Just every every time we finally cracked the fifteen barrier. Uh, which was which was a lot of fun. It was me and friend of the cast, Lindley. Um, I was just like in a group and we really needed a tank. And I saw him online. I was like, hey, but do you want to come tank this, you know, 13? And he was like, yeah. And we did it and we timed the key, which was great, right? We timed this this uh, this 13 and we two-chested it. And I immediately got in the chat because if you two-chest a key, it is going to upgrade twice, right? From a, a 13 to a 14, then a 14 to a 15, right? And I was like, let's run that 15. And everybody in the group was like, okay. But none of us had ever run a 15 before. And to be honest, we actually did pretty well, all things considered. Um, we only whiffed the timer by about two minutes, which was probably just because we were pretty slow and methodical about, like, the pulls and everything like that. Everybody, you know, there was, there was like, some small wipes. Um, it was also basically going from the easiest dungeon, uh, Miss of Tyrannus Scythe, to maybe the hardest dungeon. Second hardest dungeon, I would say. Um, the other side. Uh, and man, it was just, that was just an experience and I'm very, and I'm very glad it was, it was a lot of fun. I swear to God, I'm going to get fucking Keystone Master this season. Uh, the other news, which like I want to talk about, but like there just isn't a ton to talk about was BlizzCon was this weekend. Right. BlizzCon line. Um, but one of the most interesting things that they did, which I thought was, well, it was interesting is they didn't announce any systems for, for 
World of Warcraft. All of the new stuff for World of Warcraft. First, we're getting World of Warcraft Burning Crusade Classic. Everybody knew this was coming. Um, then they they kind of outlined 9.1, you know, with, with most of the stuff you expect. New raid, new zone, uh, uh, the, a mega dungeon. One of the interesting things is that this is a the latest 9.1 patch, but it is also the patch that is carrying the most content. Typically, the 9.1 patch comes pretty quickly after, and it doesn't include a boatload of content, right? So for in Legion, um, the the 7.1 patch was Suramar, right? It was that whole Suramar storyline, and also um, it was the um, like the Hell invasions or whatever, uh, like Helia's forces were invading, and then technically 7.1.5 had the Nighthold raid, right? So there was a, there was also a raid in the 7.1 patch. In 8.1, there was the Jazar Lore raid, right? the in, in that 8.1 patch and it was also like a new warfront and stuff like that but like uh most of the, you know generally speaking it wasn't a new zone it wasn't new anything like that that all came in 8.2 7.2 so this is the first time that we're actually like seeing something kind of along those lines in the the point one patch of an expansion which is kind of which is kind of neat um but also at the same time this is the longest we have gone in basically since i think warlords maybe and even warlords were coming up on it because it's six months and so that's next month um to be playing in the point oh patch of an expansion so i feel like there's like a there's that that's neat and interesting and i want to know more about sort of like the decision making behind you know blizzard's process uh but like i said they didn't include any system stuff which i was expecting i was expecting them to say you're gonna get two legendaries or the item level on legendaries are increasing and going this way or you know, there's going to be a new soulbind tree, or we're extending the trees, or yep. any of those sorts of lines. But they actually started the What's Next panel with Ian Hazakostas basically saying, you know what? <laughs> we don't know what's going on with the systems. We're going to put shit up on the PTR. You decide. <laughs> I thought that, I thought Which they I, found. I thought they said they were expanding the uh, the soulbind system. Did they say that they're expanding the soulbind system? Yeah, I, I I remember a lot of talk about like you know we want people to ha be able to make more interesting decisions with the soulbinds. Yeah, so I definitely expect those things to happen, but they offer no specifics. Normally, okay. in the What's Next panel, they talk about this is the new thing that's coming, right? Oh, okay. These are the changes we're making to the systems of the game, right? Um, like, so in 8.2, it was talking about Azeroth, or the heart of Azeroth at the essences. In in 7.3, it was talking about the Netherlight Crucible, the thing where you could, like, add little modifiers to your relics or whatever on your weapon, um, stuff like that, right? Uh, corruptions would be a good example in 8.3, um, but they didn't they didn't do any of that stuff, which I thought was nuts. And then also there's the the story based content, which is uh, the jailer has mind controlled Anduin and turned him into bad bad boy. He's he's, he's a bad guy mm, <laughs> in, yes. that, in that trailer. S spoilers. So. He's he's Arthas. Uh, I guess yeah. Spoilers. He's, yeah. Yeah. Yikes. I don't see. I I contest that he's Arthas. He's... I think that he is markedly different. I have, I had a lot of conversations with people who are talking about how how arthas he was and i do think that there are obviously like parallels but fundamentally arthas like made the decision to become this whereas anduin had that forced on him no, so I, I think it's supposed to be arthas is like possessing anduin um is what it's supposed to be um, oh drama yeah, i wow i mean so maybe i'm wrong but like i th that is like i thought that was like obvious but so i guess i'm i'm, I'm probably wrong about that I, so. you know maybe I, I i have thought that the the, the little Thing that he pulls out. Uh, the, the, there's a cutscene that's on the, oh, the game key. Now. 
where the where the jailer pu pulls out a crystal and they hammer it into Shalomorn, right? Which is now Kingsmorn, I guess is what they call it. Um, I call it Shalomorn because I think that sounds cooler. The sword is Shalomain. Now it's Shalomorn, you guys. Anyway, I think that crystal might be Arthas, like might be Arthas's soul in the same way that Ner'zhul was in the Helm of Domination. Mm. Um, but who knows? You know. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? Huh. All right. I guess. I guess we'll. I guess we'll. I guess we'll find out. Uh, yeah. Although, like, you know, this continues the grand tradition of like fucking, you know, impressive characters getting jobbed in this expansion, right? Like, you know, like the the Archon or whatever. Like, you know, art. You know, Andu Arthas or whatever he's supposed to be. Just like kind of like you know throws down a smoke bomb and like just like stabs him through the fucking heart and that's it, right? Like, there's not. There's not like, and. This bothered me. This is kind of like, you know, the level of kind of like somebody somebody got fired for that blunder level thing. But like she's holding a sword and she points it at him and he throws in the smoke bomb. And then when he leaps in the air, she's not holding anything. It's like <laughs> <laughs> she just dropped it off screen, Mango. Come on. Continuity isn't real. No, I, I, I get that for sure. I, you know, th this sort of stuff doesn't bother me all that much. Um, but I definitely see this in the community. Like people got so fucking mad that Sylvanas beat Bolvar on the uh, in the Shadowlands cinematic. Uh, which I think is just because people fucking hate Sylvanas, and they want, and they, and I'm just like, I don't know, man, who cares? Like, this is very, like, who would win, Superman or Goku level bullshit for me. It's like, whoever the writers need to win at any individual time kind of thing, right? Like, the power level of this stuff that happens in cinematic is just so far divorced from, like, the game as we all know it and understand it, that I don't really feel like, you know, talking about that stuff is ever pr productive. So, so no, is that is that mean? Is that wrong? So I I agree with you, kind of from like a like a, a writing perspective, but just from kind of like it seems like he got jobbed level perspective, right? Like, oh yeah, like you know, and I get it. It's like a two minute cinematic, but it's like the fucking raid fights last longer than that, right? Like it's you, <laughs> you know, at, at, yeah. at least like have a little bit of build up, but you know, I get it, I get it. This is, this is something that is in in perpetually amusing to me. You get these beautiful, gorgeous cinematics. For all these inciting incidents and like everything always ends, you know, it's like always like something that needs to be solved. So it's always like kind of on a down note. And then like the solutions are always in game. So it's, you know, it's like a machinima of like some like nerds like running around and spinning while like, you know, like doing a raid boss, right? Like, yeah. you know, what's funny, actually, this was a complaint in BFA because they didn't do that. The Sour Fang Sylvanas cinematic, right? Where um, they, they like edits the war campaign, Sour Fang. And Sylvanas have a Makara, and he tricks her into kind of like revealing that she doesn't actually care about the Horde, right? Um, people were really mad about that because it happened in a cinematic and it didn't happen in game. They're like, my character's just fucking sitting on the sidelines and lets this happen. Or the same thing is true of Nazoth, right? Like, they really hated the ending of the Nazoth fight because, like, you charge the Heart of Azeroth at Kamehameha Nazoth, right? And people were super furious about that because they were just like, the raid encounter should be cool, not the cinematic after the raid encounter, which I think both of those are unfair. But it is actually kind of funny because if I were to be sitting down watching the YouTube videos of the cinematics in order, you actually would get very little, like, connective tissue because so much of that happens in game. Oh, yeah, no, and, and like, I think that's, like, I think that makes sense, right? Like, that's the way it has to, yeah. go, has to go, but, like, I just think, I just find it, like, you know, it's just... Funny, right? It's like, because like, the trailers are like the trailers are so fucking beautiful, right? They're like they're like yep. amazing, um, and then you know it's just like you know you know four pixels of like fifteen guys like spinning around in circles, right? Like uh, uh, that actually does the damage. Um, 
but yeah. Um, on the other side of things, uh, uh, I watched Goodfellas for the first time, which was pretty good. You've never seen Goodfellas? No. Wow. Um, it was a big college movie. I think I saw that in two different film classes in mm. college. Uh, it's, it's, Everybody always wants to talk about the one shot that they have in the Cabana Club. Oh, it's like it's a, a long. It's a, hey, I I fucking I, I like I didn't know about that, but like I was like, oh, that's a long shot. Like, you know, I, I feel I feel special. I I you know, it's a long shot. It's like a single shot. I you know, I recognize that filmmaking technique. Um, but that shot is super famous and gets referenced all the time in film courses. And th- there's two of them. It's that. There's a bunch of these actually. But there's that one, and then there's also the. Uh, have you ever seen 2001: A Space Odyssey? No. Uh, there's I- a cut where the monkey, the, like a monkey, picks up a, a like a, a bone and he uses it to beat another monkey to death, and then at the end he throws the bone into the air, and then the bone cuts, and it's not a bone anymore; it's a space station, right? Um, and this is to this is to uh, uh, it's the it's called the Kuleshov effect, right? Which is where like you impart meaning on two different images by putting them right next to each other, right? If you go from one thing to another thing, you are creating meaning by having those two things happen in simul- in in, uh, in sequence. People always use the Cabana Club to explain a one right? Like, doing everything in that one, sh- one long shot. People always use uh, the fucking monkey bone from 2001 to explain the Kuleshov effect, such that it's actually a meme. Like, it's a, it's a light meme on, like, film Twitter, right? That people will reference that kind of thing. Uh, so, so spe- what did you think of Goodfellas? I thought it, I thought it was great. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so th- there's like a connection there that like you know my family isn't involved in the mob at all but like there's a lot of kind of like Italian big Italian family stuff that like that that, sure. tr- that translated for me and resonated with me which I thought was interesting um, you know uh, also like the thing like you know it's like uh, Ray Liotta and uh, who's uh, is it Joe Pesci it's supposed to be like it's supposed to be like 20 and I'm like there's no way they're fucking 20 right like um, but uh, you know it was uh, it's 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 a good movie. It's um. It's it's a slower paced movie, and I think that like kind of like I saw like the bones of that become like the excruciating level that was the Irishman, which I thought was like hard to sit through, um, uh, uh which is a lot in a lot of ways a very you know kind of like the the same movie but like transposed a little bit. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I like Goodfellas a lot. It might be one of my favorite. I think probably The Departed is my favorite gangster movie but goodfellas is probably up there i have a problem with a lot of these gangster movies where which is that they all sort of hand wave at the gangster stuff happening i think maybe my favorite gangster stuff is probably better call Saul and breaking bad more better call Saul to be honest just from the perspective of i want to know the how the business works right like i want to see the fundamentals of the supply chain right well, goodfellas goes into those that. tv shows that I didn't feel we well, get in like a like a montage, right? But I don't know. I, there's just something about like, I really I'm kind of I'm kind of shitting on the Sopranos here. Okay. The Sopranos talks about mob stuff, right? But like you never get to like see or really like understand it, right? Okay. It just kind of like presumes, oh, this guy's a big earner. This guy's a made man, and you understand that on like a relationship level, but you don't understand it on kind of like an industry level where i want to get that you know yeah what is it what, what what is specifically happening that is that's making these guys there you know like their money sort of thing yeah and and 
like I said, I think they, they, they go over the fact they rob a lot of stuff in good good fellows. Yeah. Like I, I actually I want to note that I think that they did a better job of that than I think in most movies. Like I would generally agree with you. I think you know. Yeah, I do. I do think that that's true. Um, they didn't even do that. I mean, I like The Departed for I guess other reasons, just because like the drama of it is so good. Yeah. But, um, they don't even do that in the fucking Departed. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, the The Wire is also an amazing mm-hmm. example of this. One of the reasons why I really love The Wire because they really lay it all out. Like you, you know, they ex- they explain beat by beat, person by person, right? Like, and you see the whole breadth of the of the sort of uh, like the business behind it all, and that's so compelling. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Maybe because it's taboo or something. Like it's just like ooh, drugs. <laughs> it's funny because I'm I'm thinking of that kind of like the scene of like you know uh, of, of Henry Hill's last day kind of right. It's like you know I gotta I gotta go drop off the weapons and then I gotta I gotta go you know deliver the drugs. It's like then I gotta make the sauce. Gotta make sure the sauce is done. And that's like just kind of like that was my favorite part to be honest. That's something that reminds me a lot of my dad. My because my dad would do this like. I mean, because he lived in Italy for a while, so it's not quite, like, a big Italian family, like, thing, but it is a him thing. Right, right. Because, uh, you know, he sort of has that, like, I guess I would call it, like, an Italian kitchen sensibility, if that makes sense, to, like, making the sauce. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I, I absolutely get that, right? Actually, the one that really gets me is the one in the prison, when they're all in the prison making dinner together. That reminds me a lot of, like, the way that my family used to make those sorts of dinners. No, and like like the oh man. So the thing that like you know the scene where like the women are like kvetching and like you know the the his Karen's just kind of like what have I fucking married into, right? Like mm. that like res like I uh, so like um my my family uh my, my extended family used to do this thing where do you, you know what um oh, what, what's what's what what was the name of it? They're like little fried dough balls with honey that you make around Christmas. Um uh, I don't know. Strufala, Um Okay. But, like, the thing that you, 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 you know, the women would all sit down and, like, make the strufala, right? Like, they do it, like, you know, like a week before Christmas happened, right? And one year I went because, like, I like cooking, right? And I'm, like, the only only dude there. Otherwise, it's just, like, these old Italian women all kvetching about, like... <laughs> um, so it's, it's not, it's not like, you know, kind of like the makeovers that they're doing in the movie, but it's, like, very much the same kind of, like, conversations where it's like, ah, you know, you know, like, all they're all bitching about whatever. It was, it was, it was, it, you know, again, speaks to my soul. Um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, the, the other movie I watched this week, uh, have you ever seen They Came Together? Yeah, yes! That movie's amazing. Have I not talked to you about this movie? Uh, that movie is amazing. Yeah. It is so so fucking funny i can't i could not believe it the first thing because it just looks like a dumb rom-com right right and then you watch it and it is just the greatest thing i i had okay (laughs) there's a part in the movie where bill Hader turns to his wife and and says something about like a like a wet stinky shit what does he say it's like a line uh i i I, for, I forget exactly, but I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. He just, he says that line, and that line, my boss at Square Enix quoted that line to me as if it, it was like a reference that I understood. And I was like, what? And he was like, have you never fucking seen this movie? And I was like, no. And he was like, it's, go, wa- like, watch it now. Don't read anything about it, just watch it. And, uh, and I did, I basically just like lost my shit. It is so funny. No, it's, <laughs> it's so it's it's great it's it's interesting because like i I like it a lot but i think that like 
it's a little much sometimes. And like, I think there's actually an interesting thing to, to talk about here. Cause like, and maybe this is a thing for, for another episode, but like, because it's such a parody, like, I think you lose some of like the, like stakes you get in other comedies. Like, in like a real romantic comedy, there's the stakes of the romance, like in Dodgeball, there's the stakes of like them losing the gym or whatever. But in, um, in they came together because you know, it's all just kind of like screwball, right? Like you, you know, there's like, like, it's, I, th I think some of the jokes are, like, I think they do the kind of, like, the, you know, repeated thing a little too much, but, like, there's also a lot of stuff that's, like, unsaid, but, like, hilarious, right? Like, like, um, uh, Paul Rudd's character's apartment being, like, like, the typical, you know, like, kind of like the typical Brooklyn apartment that doesn't make any sense. It's, like, you know, giant room, three clocks on the walls, a bunch of signs, just kind of, like, you know, they don't call it out, or, like, he does a scene where he's talking with his brother, and, like, you were talking about the shots earlier, right? Like, they do the back and forth, and it's, like, Dutch angles for no reason at all. And I'm just, like, sitting there, like, losing my shit because, like, it's, like, they're, they're clearly just, like, you know, playing on this. But, like, it's, it's you know, uh, it, it, but you're right. It is it is so good. It is so the good. The quote, by the way, that I'm quoting is, when you've been married as long as we have, taking a stinky shit, shit is better than having sex. sex. <laughs> Which is, like... Oh my God! Oh, this movie! Holy shit! And, that movie's and it's in response to I, Amy Amy Poehler yeah. Amy Poehler's character saying like, you know, our car and swirls are better than sex, right? Like, yeah. and he's like, take your stinky shit, but you know, it's, it's just, like the, the the whole the whole framing device is great too, right? Like, you know, because it's like the frame is just Bill Hader and uh, and I forget <laughs> who plays his wife, like Isla Fisher, maybe I don't yeah. can't remember who it is. And like Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd, like they're they're talking about like it's like our our. Uh, you know, our love story is kind of like a cheesy rom-com, right? And in the middle of the movie, they're like, you know, but this isn't a rom-com. It's real life. And they and she turns and, like, looks at the camera. <laughs> just kind of, like... <laughs> yeah, there's also a bunch of, uh, man, there's just, like, there's just, like, a bunch of small stuff yeah. that is, like, really detailed. Where, where, like, Paul Rudd talks to his, like, friends. And he and he's like, oh, guys, I really, like, I really, like, need advice. We're just like, I'm going to give you this, like, advice, but I'm not going to show up for the rest of the movie or whatever. We're like, talking to his, like, best friends. They're all, like, inexplicably playing basketball. Oh. Oh, they're all really bad. Man, I don't want to oh. ruin this. I don't want to ruin this. Watch, the, watch this movie. This yeah. movie is great. It has so many good bits. <laughs> yeah, it is. So I, this is actually a thing that I think is interesting because I think they missed the mark a couple of times because it's, like, it's like what it's classic kind of like sketch writers write a movie stuff, right? Like they're all like yeah. great sketches, but like it gets a little like, and like, um, there's a gag where like, like a Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler are like a coffee shop, and she gives him a very complex order, and like it works for a little bit, and then like the 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 kind of like end gag is um, the uh, the the person the person taking the order says you know uh, you know, you know describes the order as a number three, right? And then they zoom in on, like, the board showing that number three is that order. I think it would have worked better, like, if they just didn't have the zoom in. Just, like, you know, a coffee and a number three and, like, left it unsaid. And they're very good about that in other parts, right? Like I said, like, you know, they don't ever lampshade the fact that, like, you know, the, the apartments are, are ridiculous. Yeah, and they also don't roll it forward. For instance, I think Dewey Cox, which we did a podcast mm. on, did this very well, where they kind of roll forward the absurdity of their own world. Right. Right? So it's like... At first, you keep seeing that Dewey Cox is going home and there's, like, a million kids because there's always, like, inexplicably all these kids in the beginning of the beginnings of these movies. But then the movie ends with him playing catch with all of his kids he's never fucking met. And it's, like, the, the it progressively 
get it, it maintains sort of the the absurd world building. Right. I guess is what I would yeah, call yeah. it, right? Or like communities would sort of do stuff like this, right? Where like the rules of the world are still consistent, even if they are absurd, right? Yeah. Whereas, um, which I didn't, I don't feel like this movie. Did it, that. it doesn't. That's actually very important, yeah. right? Like it, it doesn't, and like. Um, and that lets them be freer and like being like more and more ridiculous. Like you know, they can be like off the wall in a way that doesn't really make sense. But like it also mm-hmm. kind of like this is also part of what I talk about. Like the stakes aren't really there, right? Like you know, like yeah. even like the the farce that is supposed to be like their their romance is like you know so far out of you know so you know they can solve it however they want, and you won't be expected to like make it make sense in the real world, right? Like that, like you know, it it's it. It kind of like loses a little bit of the bite, but you know, it's still it's still very funny, very funny. Highly recommend it. Um, yeah, um, but we're way over time at this point. You have anything else you want to yeah, talk about? Over time. <laughs> uh, you have anything else you want to talk about before we uh, get out of here? No, I'm good. I'm done. All right. Uh, if you'd like to to email us and tell us what you thought about uh, any of the things we talked about on this podcast, exploration, we came together, World of Warcraft, you can email us at simbersplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at simbersplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash simbersplaygames where these go out live now. Um, rate and review us on iTunes. Like us on SoundCloud. Um, uh, do all the other things. Just do stuff on podcatchers. Listen to us. Tell us you love us. Please, I'm so lonely. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I think that's everything I had. Uh, but you have anything you want to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. All right. Well, in that case, until next time, your listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.